Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We're getting very near the end. Very near. Yeah, we watched three episodes of the War Games. We really enjoyed it, but as as the episodes go on, you you realize what's at the end, and it's the end of the huge era of Doctor Who. Yeah, it it, it feels like you know, like you're ending. Yeah. <laughs> We watched episodes seven, eight, and nine. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the resistance episode, so to speak, where that sort of takes hold, and uh, of course, it has the the debut or the the appearance of the warlord, as played by Philip Maddock, who returns after several weeks away after having been in the Crotons, uh, complete with a beard and glasses to disguise his appearance. Who was he in the Crotons again? He was Elec. He was one of the um, people in the Crotons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if I said that the war chief was smooth like butter, uh-huh. which is true, I think the warlord is smooth like velvet. He is so velvet. Mm-hmm. There's so many scenes where he just sort of sits and listens and then sort of says, you know, no, war chief, it is you who have failed. You know, just mm-hmm. like. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. Because, I mean,. When we were talking about the war chief's appearance, you know, sidling into the room and stuff, it's just like he knows that he is in charge. And you get that even more so with the warlord because he, he comes in and he knows that he is in charge and the war chief is, is certainly not. So the interactions be- between them are kind of delightful because, you know, you've been seeing the war chief sort of have the upper hand and then suddenly comes somebody comes into the room that's bigger than he is and mm-hmm. he gets put, you know sort of uh, put down a peg. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, and he has his own, um, his, his own personal alarm sounding entrance music. Yeah. Both the, the war chief and the warlord have their own. Um, it's not music. It's just like an alarm sound. Yeah. It's bop, weird. Yeah. Yep. Which the, the war chief's uh, alarm sound is apparently just the alarm sound for the entire base because when they started, it's like, wait, that's the war chief's sound. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Like everyone's alarmed when the war chief comes in. And then there's one scene where like the war chief's already in the room and is like, why are you ringing the alarm for? He was already here. And there's no alarm or anything like that, but it just keeps going off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what else? Let's see here. The So the, uh, the resistance uh, where we meet a whole bunch of different, uh, like the a brief appearance of Petrov from the Crimean War Zone. Um, and uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's actually a pretty good plan. You know, they've yeah. sent Zoe off to, to try to get the other leaders together and um, they're they're planning on gathering the forces together and then attacking the the main base. And the doctor is is able to hijack their technology mm-hmm. and create the you know the mist barrier, time zone barrier around the chateau. And it's not it's not a bad plan. And it probably would have worked, but up until this point, we didn't know that they had a neutron bomb, yeah. which would which would kill everybody. So, you know, it's 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 another example of you know them the the good guys or really anybody in this story achieving their goals, and they managed to you know bring everybody together, including VR, who is a very broad Mexican stereotype, <laughs> um, and Petrov being a very broad Russian stereotype. Yeah. This is this is classic black and white Doctor Who. Not that it gets that much better later, but um, that is. <laughs> but but the uh, the classic black and white Doctor Who thing that we have seen a number of times is like 
repeatedly, we've seen broad stereotypes of people from multiple different nations Mm -hmm. who are together for one reason or another. So either they're on a space station in the future or here they're on another planet somewhere else fighting for their very survival. Yeah, it's kind of a romantic ideal in a way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Doctor Who keeps, you know... bringing together people from from many different uh different places and having them work together towards towards the same end which is you know it's the 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 portrayal is uh is leaves something to be desired for sure but the idea behind it is is kind of laudable yeah you're right yeah yeah you know we talked at the outset of this story about the you know the me comparing it to the Wallace and Gromit short film and, and sort of like the, the drama having twists and turns, not, and then, but, but then, and, uh, this is, you know, the, the doctor captures the, um, the chateau and everything. And that happens, but then the, they zap in and then kidnap him with yeah. the processing machine. And then, you know, it's, it does that sort of thing. And I, I'm reminded, you remember in the mind robber at episode five, when the, the master is and the doctor sort of duking it out sort of inventing yes. storylines and it's almost like oh but then d'artagnan shows up and he's got a sword and stuff but but then this happens and i just feel like terence dix and malcolm hulk are like the master and the doctor in that scene and it's just sort of like creating different twists and turns to make even the last you know let's face it the last three episodes of this story um still twisty and turny enough to be enough to be very interesting yeah yeah, definitely. Like I never, we we just watched three episodes right in a row and I never felt like it was getting long or I was getting bored or looking at the clock or anything. It was, you know, oh, the episode's ending, but oh no, scary cliffhanger, yeah. which, you know, pretty much every time um, it was, it, it, it worked really well because then, you know, and having the doctor sort of bounce back and forth mm-hmm. um, between the war zones and the, you know, the main uh, the war room yeah. <laughs> basically uh, is is also interesting too because you know he is he's the center of the action in a lot of ways in both places and um, you know we have in episodes seven and eight we have the development of what we were starting to see in episodes five and six of the the fracture between the war chief and the war lord and or first of all the war chief and the security chief. Um, that's that's sort of like the biggest thing and there's they're still sort of bickering and backbiting and then you get the you know the war we learn more information about the war chief like they're okay so he is definitely one of the doctor's people mm-hmm. and they are definitely called time lords and they have both run away for their own reasons the doctor for whatever reason and the war chief uh obviously because he wants power and he says he wants peace but really he just wants to be in control i think that's that's pretty clear and uh, and the security chief doesn't trust him, so he records him. I, I think that was just a nice nice little touch that he's been having. Uh, you know, he's going on all Nixon on him. <laughs> he's recording everything in the room. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yes, uh, finally in episode eight, it's the the doctor and the war chief meet really for the first time apart from them recognize each other and and i just love uh, everett brayshaw is one of my favorite things in this whole story as, yes. as the war chief and i just love you know the doctor is sort of like standing behind him uh sort of still keeping his guard up but then the war chief sort of says despite you uh, you you may have changed your appearance but i know who you are and that just immediately trout just drops his guard because okay. like for the first time like i'm trying to think i don't think the meddling monk ever like said 
did he that he knew the doctor? I can't remember. Do you remember at all? I don't remember. I don't think that I don't think that there was any sort of personal like I know who you are. I yeah. think it was just you know I they maybe he recognized he was a fellow Time Lord, but. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like the the recognition that we had here. Uh-uh. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and like so, yeah. So for the first time in the show's history, you know, there's someone from the Doctor's own race, and he recognizes him, and they and they both, you know, left um, the the Time Lords for their own reasons. Um, the War Chief sort of says we are very very much alike, and the Doctor is very oh. resistant to that. But really, they kind of are alike. Well, I mean, they're alike in that they left. I mean, I wouldn't say that that's nece- that's they have a thing in common. I wouldn't right. necessarily say that they are alike uh-huh. because the doctor would never go in for a plan like this. Um, the only reason that he, you know, fools his his friends and compatriots is to save their lives. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, I'm not I'm not buying that the, that we're similar thing. It's that uh, you know they they both are different from the time lords Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're different in the same way that's true Mm -hmm. but in the war chief's mind he probably thinks they are oh yeah Yeah. because you know it's it's, it's a common thing with villains that they can't really see sort of past the end of their own nose they can't fathom somebody Uh. being any different than them because they just think well the only the only goal in life is power Mm -hmm. and should you know anybody who is successful must have those same goals because that's how you get ahead in life Mm -hmm. um and the doctor is so successful he actually has his own tardis that he has stolen Mm -hmm. and um yeah the war chief the war chief didn't uh, didn't achieve that so obviously the doctor must be out for the same ends because he's successful therefore like you know it's, it's just faulty logic i'm so curious about the war chief's backstory because he's stolen several time capsules from the from or did he or did he just build them yeah. um because he had the he had the materials to be able to build these sort of short-term, mm-hmm. short-range type things that aren't going to last very long, you know, <laughs> because they've um, earlier it, it was in one of the episodes it's mentioned that you know you brought us the 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 secret of or right. you know, or you know I can't remember if that's exactly the words, but you know like basically you brought us that technology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that he he brought them right the, the physical actual products raided the storeroom yeah. at Gallifrey and <laughs> took some tardises, yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like he was the one that had to sort of put them together the way that the doctor is saying, oh, how did you get past this particular issue mm-hmm. with it? And and uh, the doctor was not al- around when the war chief referred to them as side rats, yeah. uh, which is ridiculous because time and relative dimensions in space, the backwards would, would be like... Uh, I I can't I can't do letters backwards in uh-huh. my head, but you know space. Re- space re- in dimension re- relative and time. And time. Wait, what? Like that doesn't even. That's dumb. <laughs> I I don't remember what it is, and I'm sure I could look it up. So don't bother adding us. Mm-hmm. But somewhere, maybe the novelization or somewhere else, um, maybe in the script, someone c- actually created the. Acronym e. for Sidrat or Sidrat. The backronym. It was totally a backronym. Is that actually a word? Yeah, a backronym is where you take the uh, the word that you want it to be. So Sidrat, and right. then you say, okay, what can these letters stand for? Right. That's a backronym, like backwards acronym. Somewhat intelligent design, mm-hmm. uh, regardless 
Oh, I've painted myself into a corner. There. <laughs> You're just making stuff up now. I am 100% making stuff up. Um, there was a nice little a moment there where, where Jamie is uh, like he's left in charge by Russell, <laughs> you know, and then he sort of pretends to be the leader and stuff. And yeah, it's very foolish, but actually then becomes very stand upish to uh, Arturo Villa. A little bit. Yeah, that was which, of course, all comes about because Arturo Villa is so incredibly sexist that he won't even listen to anything that Zoe says. And then, you know, just, I do appreciate Jamie saying when he says, why would you let a woman speak for you? And Jamie says, yeah. why not? If she's right, yeah. like good for him for at least a little bit yeah. standing up for her. Um, well, yeah, because he sort of says, well, what if she's right? Only she's right, of course. Yeah. You know, yep. <laughs> like he throws that caveat in there. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, that's not necessarily the worst thing to do because, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who has that level of, of awful sexism and you're really trying to get them on your side, mm -hmm. uh, now's probably not the time to, you know, indoct try to indoctrinate him into the, the ways of feminism and right. equality for women. So, you know, you just got to grit your teeth and get on with it. Kind of the, the way that women have done for many, many years. Use the tools that you have in your toolkit and uh, try to work within the system as much as you can. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to just nod and smile instead of yep. causing a scene. Yeah. Because you don't always have you don't always have the option to cause a scene, which yeah. is uh, crappy and sad, but true. Yeah, it is. Um, what else in these uh, three episodes that caught your eye that you... Uh... I appreciate that uh, Jamie and Zoe were obviously firmly on the doctor's side yeah. you know they they knew that he wasn't but i really appreciated that carstairs even was you know he was he was a little bit more iffy than jamie and zoe but he was not ready to like russell was just like yeah. that guy i'm gonna kill him and then you know vr is like i'll kill him first mm -hmm. um and then apparently the uh the, the the german guy was um not paid to speak because he had nothing to say about it yeah uh-huh but uh but but it was nice that carstairs who's you know kind of been around since the very first episode mm -hmm. has has really come to trust the doctor uh enough that he's given him a chance to explain himself at least yeah i i don't know i maybe there is a, a debate about this but i know he doesn't technically travel in the tardis but <laughs> there there could be a consideration for lieutenant carstairs mm -hmm. as being a companion because he's there from like episode one all the way up until the end of episode nine. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna call Sarah Kingdom a companion, yeah. then why wouldn't you call Carstairs a companion? Yeah, like I don't think that travel in the TARDIS should be the, you know, the one qualifier that depend that that determines companionship. See, see honestly, I wouldn't um, count Carstairs as uh -huh. a companion simply because. Um, you know, I I always sort of thought of a companion as um, you know somebody that the Doctor either travels with, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the TARDIS, or chooses to take along with him. Um, and, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit of a caveat there. You can't just say anybody he chooses to take along with him because it's not like he chose Tegan. Um, but uh, nobody's going to say Tegan's not a companion. Right. Like, that would be ridiculous. Uh, but so, you know, anybody that, that that stumbles into the TARDIS and the Doctor keeps, basically, I think right. is the way to think about that. Or somebody that the Doctor... You know, invites along because I mean really like Zoe also <laughs> snuck into the TARDIS in the first place too uh, so 
And I think that actually this is the reason that I don't necessarily really count Sarah Kingdom that much is because he I don't think that he would have invited her at the end and I don't think she would have gone with him, mm. which is, I think is actually more important. That's also, why I don't consider the brigadier a companion. I think the doctor is the brigadier's companion as much as the other way around. So it's not like they're they're friends, they're buddies. Yeah. The brig would never have like agreed to just go off and travel in the TARDIS with the doctor. Nope. So that's why like the word companion doesn't really fit with him. So I don't think it really fits with Carstairs either um it may like if the doctor hadn't had to call in the time lords and they had the opportunity to go find lady jennifer and like invite jennifer and carstairs along sure maybe then Mm -hmm. but i don't think that they would have gone along either i think they wanted to go home so that's why i just i wouldn't put him in that boat i wouldn't put sarah kingdom in that boat um i i wouldn't put the brig in in that in that list i think they're i think they are all fantastic great characters mm-hmm. that I like very much um, I just think that they have their own stories that they you know are living and um, and don't necessarily want to mesh their lives with the doctor in the same way that somebody that I would use the term companion for mm-hmm. which is like um, obviously I haven't seen Liz Shaw yet right. very much um, but she, you know she always gets referred to as assistant which whatever that's mm-hmm. fine um, but I do think that uh, given the choice eventually at least that she would have gone off and traveled with the mm-hmm. doctor and the doctor would have been very happy to have her along so that's why I'm I'm totally okay with using that uh, that term for her as well for what it's worth I don't uh, I don't keep a running tally I don't like have a flow chart mm-hmm. um, of who's a companion no, and who no. isn't. I, in fact, quite like the distinct blurred lines we've got in 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 the modern series mm-hmm. because yeah. it just messes with everything. And so <laughs> I like the idea of maybe car shares as a companion just to mm-hmm. sort of continue sure. to mess with it a little more. Why not? I mean, it, it brings up a good discussion as long as nobody's trying to, you know, nobody's getting mean about it and uh, nobody's. Like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's kind of a fun thing to talk about, but yeah, I also don't care if you want to call any of them companions, go for it. That's, that's fine. Just, this is, this is my rationale for sort of like drawing the, the very, very fuzzy wavy lines in between, in between them. Um, yeah. Um, so the war chief, uh, kills the security chief Mm -hmm. after they have a a final spat, like the, you know, what a stupid fool you are. And then. James Bree's delivery of many lines were very strange. Yeah, but it was so good. Yeah. Like he was just—he's such a character, like a character of a character. He's—he's—he mm-hmm. was delightful, and you know, he had to to come to a bad end. It was just the kind of character that he that he was, and uh-huh. it made perfect sense for you know, sort of poetic sense for the war chief to be the one to be his downfall. Yeah. And then the warlord is then the downfall of the war chief. So, yeah. you know, we got the, the wars and the chiefs and the lords and, you know, everything that's dominoes, just <laughs> one and then the next and then the next. Yeah. And, and, and back to the war chief briefly, I like how, you know, his performance in the scene where he goes, stop them. And when they, when he recognizes the doctor, but then his, the gravitas that he gives when the doctor says, I have to call the time lords and stuff. And he just, you know they will find us. Like he just like no, no, yeah. you don't do that. And then, you know, even when the doctor's sort of doing using his mental powers to put the little white cube together, he's like, you know, he has to be pulled back by the guards to as he tries to. So you know something mm-hmm. big is happening. And even at the very end, when the doctor does actually call the time lords and sends his uh, 
cube off to them and then you just hear this like this weird sound coming and and the warlord even looks like they're coming yeah. like he's actually yeah. spooked too and he says when when the when the time lords get the doctor he'll wish you had killed him yeah. so like it's there it's portentous but again back to the war chief for yep. a second uh i think it, he the performance is really good there's a lot of range because in addition to that uh the you know the the intense sort of fear that he has of the Time Lords. Uh, even before that, like his his demeanor is is slipping a little bit. He's when he's trying to get away, mm-hmm. and the Warlord appears, and like it's it's funny because he's he immediately sort of pivots and is just like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. How many guards do you yeah. have with you? But his facade is cracking. Oh, yeah. He's not he he is not smooth like butter anymore he is he's margarine at best (laughs) i mean really yeah not not even so he's like i I was gonna say coconut oil but it's not even that good i like coconut oil (laughs) but yeah he's uh he's losing it a little bit so he's he's trying and the the warlord obviously isn't buying it because Mm -hmm. he 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 hasn't gotten to where he is by falling for that kind of nonsense and shenanigans no and then he you know he's sort of like oh well Ah, surely he could see that. And he's sort of like, he's trying to be all all diplomatic and stuff. Meanwhile, sort of like looking for an exit to the room. And then he tries to run up the ramp and then he yells, he was trying to stop the war again. And then he gets killed and it has the one of the more bizarre death screens, which is heard by the doctor and his friends in the hallway. It just goes on forever. Um, yeah, and he falls for like, you know, he's, he yeah. falls down and then he rolls yeah. down the ramp and then he falls off the ramp onto a bench and then he falls off the bench onto the floor while he's still screaming and then the scream i don't know i i just picture him continuing to roll across the floor towards the (laughs) warlord while everybody hears him continue to scream it's uh, almost shakespearean it is i know it was epic and operatic then the warlord actually says remove the caucus (laughs) he just like that's another just nice touch of how little the warlord thinks of probably all other people but certainly the war chief like it's not even a body it's a carcass the way that you would you know talk about uh, food mm-hmm. yeah nice touch yeah i i uh i um suggested something when we were watching it uh, that you know i sent some anthony ainley in his performance mm-hmm. and then you sort of said actually maybe i sense edward brayshaw and anthony ainley's performance as the master mm-hmm. in 10 years time yeah, I mean, I, who knows if Anthony Ainley watched this and knew? So you know, probably not. But no. you know, technically, this came first. So yeah. mm-hmm. there's even a certain like slight resemblance in the eyes a little bit, like just their demeanor during some scenes. There, I thought mm-hmm. that you know, I think for the, I think some some fans, I think, try to reason that the War Chief is actually an, an earlier incarnation yeah. of the Master. But I've I have heard that as as well, and yeah. that just that just strikes me as <clears throat> just like. Some fans really just want everything to fit together in a nice little package mm-hmm. with a nice little bow. T- to me, it's much more interesting to broaden the universe and have the War Chief be a different character mm-hmm. who also, you know, ran into the Doctor. Um, I-, I don't need the same five Time Lords to just always, always be there. Right. You know, I know what you mean. It's a much, it's a, it's a very big planet, and they probably had a few renegades and people leaving there for their own accord. And sure, some of them had beards and mustaches. <laughs> yeah, so. you know, maybe that was just the fashion at the time. Uh-huh. When you think about, you know, the way fashion trends go, th- there have been times in, when lots of men had beards. That was just the way it worked. Or like mm-hmm. when everybody wore a hat. If you look at like old baseball oh. baseball games, like photos of the crowd. Everybody's wearing a hat. It was just a thing. It was just like, are you wearing a shirt? Yes. Are you wearing a hat? 
Yes. Literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Not a single person was not wearing a hat mm-hmm. in some of those photos of old-timey baseball games. Yeah, because it was just it was just as important a part of your wardrobe as yeah. anything as you know anything else. Shoes, like you got to have something to protect your feet. You got to have something <laughs> yeah. to protect your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and that's not like baseball caps. It's like proper like dress hats. Yeah. Same goes for like the business streets mm-hmm. of of. Baltimore, Maryland in 1920. I don't know. I'm just picking a random scene. And you could, you know, you could see sort of the class difference by the types of hat and yeah. how expensive they were. So maybe there is, maybe there is some sort of time lord um, thing about beards. <laughs> and the more, the more sort of uh, chaotic you were, the more uh, chance that you would have like the, the the Van Dyke or the goatee or uh-huh. the weird sideburns or whatever. Yeah, I, I um. Uh, I for some reason I thought I remember what two or three episodes ago of the of the story, not of our podcast, that we we definitely saw that uh, Brayshaw's sideburns, parts of them were drawn on. I want to say that the last couple episodes here, they seem to be a little more filled in, <laughs> and it, it just made me think about you know because they're shooting an episode a week, so this thing is being shot over the course of two and a half months. Right. Um, I, and I just sometimes I think of the more mundane things about how do they maintain just the right amount of facial hair because that grows over the course of ten weeks. That's what you have makeup artists I and know. stylists for. Let's there are there are a lot of um, subtle details that um, continuity wise that mm-hmm. that there are people working on the show that we don't always think about and appreciate maybe as much as we should. You probably should mm-hmm. at this point in the in the in the show's production. By the way, they are basically shooting. Nine days before broadcast is when it's airing. Yep. Wow, that's cutting it close. That is cutting it very close. So the the episode that we the last episode was aired on June twenty first. They shot it on June twenty. Well, that's right. That's my mom's birthday. It's your mom's birthday, mm-hmm. and and she was around in nineteen sixty nine too. So yeah, the War Games broadcast on her birthday. Wow, she was not watching the War Games at that point no. though. Sadly for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, much later. Yeah. <laughs> Much, much later. Um, like we watched it much later for this podcast here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything uh, left about these uh, three episodes, seven, eight, and nine? Um, well, we could talk about the very end. Um, oh, how right. So Carstairs asks to go along with them because he mm-hmm. really wants to find Lady Jennifer, which yeah. we mentioned in a previous podcast, which is the, that's such a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we don't know if he'll ever find her because we saw him disappear before our very oh. eyes, uh, which was like, that was really nice timing too, because that shows you, okay, the Time Lords have been there and they've already started taking care mm-hmm. of business. Um, so the chances that the doctor and, and, uh, and, and his companions are going to make it to the TARDIS now much slimmer because we know that the Time Lords are on the case. Yeah. Um, but it, like, there's the part of me that's the really obnoxious, annoying fan <laughs> who's like, okay, the doctor really should have made it clearer to everybody that he was going to leave when he was done sending this little box off right. so that they wouldn't delay him. Because if it wasn't for VR um, and, and Russell trying to get him to stick around, mm-hmm. he would have they would have made it to the TARDIS in time. Right. Um, I'll also just sort of waiting uh, around a little bit and uh, saying goodbye to Carstairs, you know, standing there for a couple seconds being like, oh, the fighting has stopped. Yeah, you know the fighting has stopped. Mm-hmm. You're the one that told the war chief to do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, those little bits of delay kind of niggle at the back of my mind and make me a little bit annoyed, but I have to get over it because uh-huh. that's just the way, that's just the way that this works. 
Yeah. It's drama. I imagine that he would have probably just run if it wasn't for Jamie and Zoe being so insistent that they come with him. Yeah. You know, because their doctor's ready to say, okay, Jamie, Zoe, this is where we say goodbye because I got to go. I got to get out of here. I got to yeah. boot it. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm glad that they tried to come along, though, because, mm-hmm. of course, they, they would. Like, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be just like... Like okay, goodbye. Yeah. Like the doctor who I've been traveling with for all of this, all this time. Mm-hmm. But it was going to be that abrupt, according to the doctor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He should have. He should have taken care of all that stuff before he sent off the box. It's just that's all I'm saying. There was a lot to do. There was a lot to do because you know the warlords come in and this and the, the war chief and so there's a whole bunch of bunch of nonsense happening. Yeah, and it all should have happened first. <laughs> he should have gotten that all like all of his ducks in a row. And then, you know, sent the, the voice memo and uh, and busted on out of there. Well, I, I, I think, you know, he waits until the last second. Because remember, he thinks that the war chief has enough of the side rats to send everyone back to their own time. Yes. But then he's sort of like, oh, crap, That's this has happened sooner than expected. Mm-hmm. I have to call the Time Lords. That's the only thing for it. And, like, he basically, you know, hits the emergency handle, break glass if in need of Time Lords, and... And that's his plan out mm-hmm. the window, basically. So I can see why he kind of, you know, let's deal with this first, and then, you know, I'll have to break it to Jamie and Zoe that I'm I'm out the door right away, right afterwards. I st- I still don't see why he didn't do that first. Like the time lord's not gonna come if he waits an extra ten minutes. Well, there was the war. Oh, I don't know. No, but the war the warlord was already under guard. That's true. They had him as a captive. Um, so, so yeah, I just, I feel like everything was totally stable at that point and he very well could have, but I mean, you know, we can chalk it up to him being flustered and which he, which he was just the whole idea of even having to call in his people, you know, it, it, it flustered the, the war chief, something fierce, and it clearly has upset the doctor Mm -hmm. as well because he's just not happy about it and just doesn't want to take the time to explain. And, you know, I understand that. He's been on the run for hundreds of years from his own people. Mm-hmm. You know, he he has lied to his granddaughter and saying that one day we'll get back there. <laughs> you know, looking thinking wistfully back about being back at their home and stuff. And Susan basically has lived a, a life of knowing of this lie that the doctor actually had no intention of getting back there. Mm-hmm. He's trying to run away from it. And all of a sudden his his life of lying has <laughs> caught up with him. I don't think it was necessarily a lie. I think maybe, you know, he had some thoughts about, uh, wistful thoughts about maybe eventually, eventually returning home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because even when you, even when you leave, like there's a place, even for a good reason, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you miss that place and you, you know, might have fantasies and, and thoughts of, of sometimes going back, somehow going back there. So I'm, I'm not going to say that he lied to Susan. I'm going to say that mm. he uh, expressed sort of like very unrealistic daydreams right. to her that, that, that it was that. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to call it lying. No, cause that's, mm-hmm. that'd be tragic mm-hmm. if he lied to his own granddaughter. Maybe she's not his own granddaughter well, either. Just don't even you start with that. <laughs> just not even. Shush. That's right. When Susan comes back in series 12 and the doctor <laughs> meets her and everything will be ironed out and it'll be a wonderful, brilliant episode. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. I would, I would love the heck out of that. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hoping it would happen during the Peter Capaldi era, to be yeah. honest. I think Peter Capaldi was hoping that too. I know. I thought, I thought perhaps it was Susan appearing in the doorway in the Twice Upon a Time, but it wasn't. It was Bill. Yeah, I mean, I love Bill, but mm-hmm. I wanted it to be Susan too. Yeah. It's, but as, uh, as our friend Rachel <laughs> said on her uh, galley ribbon, it's never effing Susan because it isn't. It isn't. No. 
All right. Um, we have one left to go. One episode left of the war games of the 1960s, the black and white era of the Patrick Troughton era, the Dr. Jamie and Zoe era. Mm-hmm. It's it's the end of a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah. And it's the end of this podcast right now because we won't be watching that one right now because we would have talked about it otherwise. <laughs> um, so the next one will be episode 10 of the war games. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.